tonight is an introduction about faith. We kicked around faith on Tuesday night. It was a good discussion. We're going to continue to do that. What is it? Whose is it? And then what does it do? Now, what we encountered on Friday, what I've encountered every time I've ever thought about or talked about faith, is faith is one of those concepts that's so intrinsic to Christian belief that we all think we know what it means. And we probably do. But that doesn't mean that there's not some questions that can be asked about it to transform the way we engage with it. And that's what this is out. So what is it? Who is it? Uh, let us run with endurance the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. How many of you think of that verse as it comes to mind, top of mind, when you think about faith? Yeah. Like, like, is it in the top two or three verses that come to mind? Maybe two or three. Mostly, without faith, it's impossible to please God is one that comes up all the time in people that I talk to in times. Faith is the evidence of things hoped for, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. So for me, it probably wasn't in the top three, but I'm glad it is in some of us. If Jesus does something about something, it probably deserves to be <laughs> in our top one or two thoughts about it. You know what I'm saying? So if, like, if we can think about salvation without thinking a lot about what Jesus' role he plays in it, we probably have the wrong notion of salvation or something along those lines. So that's kind of just the start. All right, so here we go. It's an introduction. Uh, this is a definition I just wanted to get out in English. So this is from the Oxford Language Dictionary. Complete trust or confidence in someone or something. And this was the phrase that they chose. I probably wouldn't have chosen this one. This restores a person's faith in politicians. But that's how faith is used, right? You understand what I'm saying? Okay. Uh, 2A. Yeah, that takes faith. 2A. That really is it. I modified a couple of the definitions here later, but that was the one they put in there. 2A is a strong belief in God or the doctrines of religion based on spiritual apprehension and not proof. And so I think that that idea of spiritual apprehension, not proof, is a kind of common thought, meaning that you you have faith because you believe. You don't have faith because there's proof about it. That's how most people think. I don't know that it's true, but I think that's how a lot of people think. So many uh, oppressed people have shown supreme faith was the example they gave. And then also faith can, uh, which is, faith is a noun, and, and it, it means a system of religious beliefs. So uh, like you come under the influence of the Christian faith. Okay, you understand that? Nothing revelatory here. And then uh, a strongly held belief or theory. I, I wrote my own that, strongly held belief in theory. It's a little joke because the church is invested in some XRP. So it's, we have faith that XRP will become the primary institutional digital exchange currency. And everybody say amen. Amen. We're speaking that into the truth. We're declaring that as a, but you see what I'm saying? We have faith that you say that all the time. Uh, we have faith that this is going to happen or that's going to happen or, or this person is going to do that. So that's kind of the English rundown. Now, what about faith in the, in the, in Bible words? So I'm going to start with the, in the New Testament. Uh, the word pistis, uh, New Testament 4102, it's the noun that means faith, and it's occasionally translated belief. But you can see preponderant, it's really, really big. So uh, it's used 243 times in the New Testament, and 239 of those are translated faith. 
Uh, four times it's tra translated either believe or believes or believed. Uh, or, and then one time it's translated them that believe. So unlike some of the words that we've studied when we started topics, like when we studied uh, the word hell and Gehenna and various things, or when we studied uh, eternity, that was an interesting one because there was a lot to be gained out of the specific study of those words. There's not in the same way a lot of new revelation to be gained in faith. Uh, because it just basically is translated as faith. And it's from the, the verb root, pithio, however you say that, I don't know how you say it, which means trusted, agreed, persuaded, and confident. Now, the interesting part about this is this is getting a little more relational, trusted, the idea that it's a relational thing. And so keep in mind that concept that Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. That's a relational statement as well. It, we, you know, there's a relationship with him and his work in that, in it. So that's where that comes from. And then in what's my, usually my favorite lexicon, and it's the one that, that goes through multiple definitions and is just exhaustive and it does a lot of language studies and stuff. It's the, uh, BDAG, Greek English lexicon. They have three definitions of it. And there's a bunch of stuff that they have in there and a lot of references to Greek literature and various other things. But these are the three. The first is that which evokes trust and faith. And then after that, it says the state of being someone in whom confidence can be placed. Faithfulness, reliability, fidelity, or commitment. So one of the uses of faith is, is that that evokes trust and faith. The other one is state of believing on the basis of the reliability of the one trusted. That's trust, confidence, and faith. And then that which is believed which is what was referred to in the English definition of like the faith, the Christian faith or something along those lines, the body of faith, belief, and teachings. So again, I would not dream, I guess, or I've got a habit and I can't break it, of doing an introduction without at least looking at the fundamental words that things come from. But in my opinion, there's not a lot of revelatory light being shined on it in these words by himself. And it gets a little more confusing when we look at the other primary word that's in the faith world in the New Testament, and that is pisteo, and that means believe, and it's also very, very dominantly translated in the New Testament as believe. 241 times that Greek verb is used in one of its tenses or another, and 233 is translated believe. Seven times it's committed to and an example of that, just so you know what that means, is like Paul said, the gospel was committed to him. So entrusted is another concept that comes out that sometimes, and put trust in is one of those. And most of those committed to are... Uh, another, another time it said Jesus didn't trust entrust himself to men because he knew what was in their hearts. So you can see how it's connected, but the preponderance is believe for sure. And so it, it's interestingly enough, said to come from the noun pistis. I don't really understand how one word comes from a word and then that same word comes from the word it came from. But I, that's what it said, so I just wanted to put you there. Um, so this is that same lexicon talking about the idea of to believe. To consider something to be true and therefore trust or worthy of one's trust, that's to believe. To entrust oneself to an entity in complete confidence, believe or believe in or trust or entrust. Something like entrust is to give something to someone uh, like give your, your, your confidence to them or Paul was entrusted with the gospel. That's what that means. And then to be confident about, and this is in Romans 14 too. If you remember, if a person has the faith to eat anything, remember that phrase? 
and other people don't have the faith. That's, that's this word. That's the word belief or faith. And then to think or consider a thing possible. And in Acts 9.26, that is after the lame guy was healed, I think, if I remember correctly. Somebody was healed. And the Pharisees did not consider it a possibility that he could be healed. And so it was in the negative, and that's that's how that would work. So I don't know how that seems to you, but uh, it, it it just it, it pretty much covers the whole spectrum of use in the New Testament. And then in the Old Testament, it's a little bit broader, and and uh, there's some interesting stuff in both the New and Old that we'll get to in a second. But the primary word is a verb called aman. I don't think I pronounced that correctly, but it's a verb anyway. It means to confirm, support, uh, support, uphold. And then in these various word forms, it means, uh, these are like tenses or word forms, uh, to be established, to be faithful, uh, to be certain or to believe in. Um, So the qual is to conform, support, and uphold. Be established, be faithful is the nifal, and to be certain to believe is hifal. This word is used 108 times in the Old Testament, and the first use of it is in Genesis 15, 6, which we're going to look at in just a little bit. And it's the one where Abraham believed in the Lord and it was counted for him as righteousness. And the interesting thing about that one being a first use is that is also one of the primary connectors with faith in the New Testament from the Old Testament because Abraham then is cited as the father of faith and he believed and so on. So I went back to the theological word study of the Old Testament, and there's a whole bunch of words that are in this family. And I'm certainly no expert at all on Hebrew, but it's a much more related, relational, and picturesque language than Greek is. Greek tends towards being a lot more didactic and precise and explanatory. Hebrew is a lot more pictorial. So here are these, all these words are a part of the, the language that Hebrew uses to speak about faith and belief. Um, Omen is faithfulness. Amen, verily, truly, or I mean, uh, Oman, steady-handed one, an artist. Uh, that's applied to God sometimes as a creator and various things like that, and there's others. Uh, Amun is faithful and trusting. Amun is firmness, fidelity, and steadiness. That might be one. One of these words, it was used when um, in Exodus when Moses' hands were getting tired and they sat him on a rock and Aaron and her stood on either side of him and, or, and, and kept it up or, or whatever. And, uh, or just anyway, the description of his hands was that it was steady. And it was, it was a word that means this. So you can see that, that the Hebrew words for this are a lot less abstract as just like a faith concept in your head. And they're a lot more about being faithful, being steady, being solid, all that kind of stuff. And it goes on down. Uh, they're all essentially kind of the same. So then in this, uh, in this dictionary, this was, uh, the, uh, Kind of a telling little phrase that it put in there. This very important concept in biblical doctrine gives clear evidence of the biblical meaning of faith in contradistinction to the many popular concepts of the term. At the heart of the meaning is the root of the idea of certainty. And then in most of the Old Testament uses of these words, that certainty is placed in the faithfulness of God or the faithfulness of somebody who's following God. So does that make any sense at all that there's a, a relational quality more so in that than there is in others. Okay. All right, so what can we learn? 
What can we learn about faith and believing from word studies? And I wanted just to put the number one point, not all that much, but there is stuff we can learn. I mean, but it's, it's again, it, it's not like there's a big gold mine of stuff nobody's ever seen. We're, we're talking about the faith that we understand, believing, being steadfast, being faithful, the evidence, all that stuff. Okay, We're talking about that stuff. We're talking about God. So, one, we can learn that faith and belief and believing, the noun and the verb, are very, very closely related in the expressions in the New Testament for sure. Uh, and in, in, in the old as well. Certainty, assurance, describing reality to, evidence of faithfulness, steadfastness. These are all embraced in the concept of faith and belief. Okay? Because of its many word forms, it has the capacity in Hebrew to really make uh, wide-ranging, poetic, picturesque meanings, and they all center on this idea of certainty and steadiness and steadfastness. And it'll be interesting to do more study on some of those words to see what the picture is behind them, what's the picture at the root of them. Uh, and the above concepts or actions, they get applied to somebody almost always. It's not just, it rarely talks about faith in the Old Testament as an abstract concept. It's almost always applied to Yahweh or it's applied to the people of Israel or to one of the faithful leaders or something along that. Or it's attached with a negative and they're not steadfast. They're not faithful. They're not holding together. Uh, so that's that. And then the Greek offers something that the Hebrew doesn't offer in exactly the same way. And it's the, uh, the cases. The cases in Greek point places. They point from one to another. So I'll just read what I wrote here and see if it makes any sense. Uh, with its more directional cases, Greek helps to point the primary meaning of faith or faithfulness or beliefs or believing or anything to either the subject that is doing this faith object or believing object or to the object that is being believed in or having faith towards. So the noun faith, pieces in the verb to believe, gets attached to something. And, and those cases are a genitive case, a dative case, and the accusative case. And we don't have time to go through that tonight, but that's, this is part of what we're going to look at next week as we get a little bit deeper into, you know, what is faith and what, are, whose is it? What are we doing? That kind of thing. So we're just going to look at two key scriptures, uh, t- tonight, one in the Old Testament and one in the New. And we're going to look at it from two different translations. And I'm going to try to make a case with that, and then we'll certainly have plenty of time for questions, I think. Um, I'm, going to, I'm going to talk to you about why I'm even bringing this up, I think, and why I think faith... Like, the experience we had on Friday was interesting, because everybody that goes on Fridays been around church for a long time, you know, and we all thought we knew what was going on. Not Friday, I'm sorry, Tuesday. Uh, and we all thought we knew what was going on um, about faith, probably. If anybody said, you know what faith is? Yeah, yeah. But as we started talking about it, looking at particular scriptures, we realized, wow, there's more going on here. You know, there's more going on here. And shamefully, I have to say that when I was thinking about that, I did not think about the verse that Jesus is the author and the completer or the perfecter of our faith. So that was one that the discussion Tuesday provoked me toward. And then I, I, I realized, okay, so... There is something going on here. So, first of all, let's look at this. This is the first use of, of the Old Testament word for faith. And so this first one I'm going to read is, is King James. And I highlighted just those two sections. So, after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield 
and thy exceeding great reward. Now, you guys remember where this happened? This is after Abraham uh, came back. I, I think either was going or came back from rescuing the people of Sodom. And then Melchizedek met him with bread and wine and blessed him. And then it sent him on this thing about a big, big deal. And then at the time, uh, Abraham didn't have a, a child. Okay. So, and Abram said, Lord God, what will thou give me? Well, let me read the first one again. After these things, the word of the Lord, these things are the interaction with Melchizedek and all that kind of stuff. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abraham said, Lord God, what will thou give me, seeing I go childless in the steward of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This is not, this shall not be thine heir, but he shall come forth, but, <laughs> can't read King James, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said to him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, he being Abraham. He believed in the Lord and counted it, and he, the Lord, counted it to him for righteousness. I kind of butchered that. Okay. Let's read it in the New American Standard. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I'm childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside. Now look toward the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And he, uh, the Lord's capitalized in the New American Standard. So, three points for the New American Standard being easier to read. <laughs> but let's go back and look at the King James again. The declaration that God made to Abraham after he came back from rescuing, was, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. New American Standard translates that, I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Do you understand that, that those say two almost entirely different things? One of them God is prophesying that Abraham's going to get a great reward. In the other way that's translated, God is saying he himself will be Abraham's great reward. Okay? Well, I do too, and I... I, I, I'm probably on the road to making a case for us that that's a better way to translate it. Because, but, but at the very least, it's relational, right? And then it goes on down the bottom. He believed in the Lord, uh, and, and, and uh, he believed in the Lord. So, but just let me just go back and forth between these again. God said to Abram, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield 
and thy exceeding great reward. And in the New American Standard, and in a lot of other modern translations, not all of them, uh, Young's Literal, and we're going to get into detail about this next week, Young's Literal goes into great lengths to try to keep it straight. And it's very unreadable kind of sentence, but it keeps God being himself Abraham's reward. Uh, Do not fear, Abraham, I'm a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. Now, I would suggest that the reason a lot of modern translations translate it this way isn't linguistic, but it's because we have a transactional kind of thinking that's a part of our, our culture and our lives. Okay, And again, this is an introduction. I'm not going to try to make the whole case for it right this second. Let's jump up to the New Testament. This is King James and Galatians. I mean, uh, Galatians and King James. Paul's talking to Galatians in 2, 16 through 20. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith of Jesus Christ, even we had have believed in Jesus Christ, and we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law. For the uh, by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if while seeking to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroy, I make myself a transgressor. For I through the law am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. All right, so the contrast between this and the New American Standard, this King James and the New American Standard translation is found in verse 16 and in verse 20. But I want to look for a second. You want to, you got something you want to say, Vic? Okay. All right. Um, but I want to talk about verse 17 just for a second. So read this the way it, let me read it again. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? Now let me jump up to the New American Standard. Read verse 17. But if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? Now to me, this is kind of an important little gem hidden in the middle of the two more significant differences in translation. Because if we go back here, this is King James again, but if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are found sinners, is therefore Christ a minister of sin? That actually makes sense to me. Because what the writer's saying is, if, if I'm trying to be justified by, by Jesus himself, and I am found to be a sinner, does that make Jesus somebody who ministers sin? But it almost doesn't make that same kind of sense to me in the New American Standard, because it says, but if while seeking to be justified in Christ, so who's doing what there? I'm seeking to be justified in Christ. Christ hasn't done anything in that phrase, right? We ourselves have also been found sinners. That's us. I get it. Is Christ then a minister of sin? Why? Because I I was going to go try to be justified in him and and I failed at it? No. The reason that this is important to me, small things get important to me, what can I say? This one makes some sense, and there are 
So one of the arguments we're going to run into in the course of the next two weeks is because you, you have to take seriously when you got you know half a dozen Bibles translated one way and two or three translated the other way. So we're not just trying to blow people off or just say, well, I like it this way, so I'm going to do it that way. That's not the point. The point is, what is the Bible teaching about faith? Whose is it? Where does it come from? What does it do? I think that these verses tell a very, very different story. In one hand, the life that Paul was living has something to do with the faith of Jesus. The faith that Jesus possesses. And in another case, if it's that, Paul was living his life having faith in Jesus. And it's a big deal, and that's where we get into the dative versus the genitive, and then the subjective genitive. It's a big, hairy furball that we'll look at. But the one that seems to make sense to me is that Paul was saying it's not fair to blame Christ even though we're seeking to be justified by Christ. That makes at least some sense. Whereas the, the NAS, while I'm seeking to be justified in Christ, that doesn't call on anything from Christ. Then why would somebody be tempted to accuse Christ of being a minister of sin? And my, that my only point in that is it matters what Paul thought. And it matters what he wrote, especially in these verses, because these verses, according to Greek grammar, should, in fact, be translated the faith of Christ. They're genitive. And you have to really make a case independent of the natural use of genitives. Because there's a bunch of other places where faith in Christ is used, and it's dative, and it has ain in it, and various things like that. So, that's what I thought that was interesting. But anyway, so you can see the difference. Uh, we're either living on the basis of our faith in Christ or we're living on the basis of Jesus' faith somehow being in us. And when we take John fourteen twenty seriously in that day, you'll know that I'm in my Father, you're in me, and I'm in you. That leads us. And when we go back and we look at the fact that Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith, probably, I'm not saying that, that we don't have faith in Christ. I, there's a bunch of scripture we're going to look at that has that. I'm also not saying that when, when Jesus does whatever he does to give us his faith, it becomes our faith and it can be spoken of like that. But he's the source, and he's the protector, and the keeper, and the extender. And so, it's a big deal, and I think, really, I think the big deal in it is, is that we just don't take our union with Christ seriously. And of all the areas that it could be amazing if we take it seriously, having faith is probably one of them. One of the things we talked about on Tuesday that was just cool is how much difference does it make if you're going to pray for somebody who's sick or injured? So let's say a person is sitting here and they have uh, a sprained knee. And you take another person who has two broken legs. Well, a lot of us would have some more anxiety 
approaching the two broken legs than the sprained knee. But if you could take yourself out of the picture for a second, if Jesus himself, and you can picture him back in the day when he was walking on the earth before resurrecting, whatever, or you can picture him now. If Jesus himself came in and there was two people here, would he be more anxious over the guy with the broken legs? I don't think so. Why? Well, because he had faith in something. His ability to heal the legs? I don't think so. What he said, also in John, is these words are not my own. They're the Father working in me. And then following that in that same discourse, about five sentences later, he talks about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and I'm not going to leave you as orphans. And then when he talks about that, he says, in that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And he says that right on the heels of, hey, if you don't know that I'm in the Father, and the Father's in me, believe because of the works. This is the thing that I believe God wants us to understand, is that our union is the basis for Jesus to say after the resurrection, and we've all we've talked about this in not too distant past, as the Father has sent me, so sent I you, send I you. If that's true, then we too have the capacity by the gift that is redemption to be able to say, These words are not my own. They're the Father working in me. And faith is the thing that connects us with that reality, I think. And that's what we're going to be looking at for the next two weeks. So that's the introduction. Yes, sir, Greg. What you just talked about has been a very life-changing thing for me in the Word. Um, Faith of Christ, the genitive case, versus faith in Christ, which can be data verb. Yeah. It was so important to me. One... I came to the exact same idea. How can, how, if it's faith of Christ, then Jesus is the author and finisher of my faith. If it's faith in Christ, I am the author and finisher of my faith. Or at least I take a management role in it. Right. I've, I've mustered it up. I'm Mr. Faith. But if it's faith of Christ, one, he's doing it. He's the author and finisher. Two, there's a lot of rest in that. There's not a lot of, faith in Christ, for me, there's a lot of stress. I've got to figure out how to, these broken legs, what am I going to do? Do I have the right kind of faith? Do I have enough faith? You know. Um, also, just a past testimony: when I was believing for healing in that emergency room when Janice was hemorrhaging, and I uh, got back here, as you probably recall, since you're awesome pastor and friend, I was pretty messed up. Uh, that was not did not go the way I read about it in Acts or the way we prophesied about it, and. Right. I heard someone teach on this concept. It is the faith of Christ rather than the faith in Christ in these difficult situations. And I looked up and I said to God, okay, because I was, I was furious at everyone, including God. Mm-hmm. If it's faith of Christ, then I'm still here. And I felt him say, then I'm here too. Because it can't, I told him, I can't, I don't know how to have faith in you once I watched Janice hemorrhage to death. Mm-hmm. I can't do that. And I found so much peace and rest in the middle of all that trauma don't I've got this. Mm-hmm. And Janice's favorite thing to say to me in all our t- 10 years of marriage was God's got this. Mm-hmm. And faith of Christ reinforces all those things, both scripturally and experientially. It does. Yeah. I had a little, a little story. It wasn't nearly as serious as your issue at all, Greg, of course. 
But uh, I studied the, these uh, genitive and dative words uh, of and in, of and in, just a really long time. And I, I kind of got exasperated by it. And it was kind of what I was trying to illustrate is that just doing word studies, it doesn't answer. You've got to really ask the Lord. So I remember walking around in my property. I had fleeces on and my house shoes and a sweatshirt on. It was a cool morning. And I had studied my brains out, and I didn't know what else to do. It's quite a few years ago. And I said, Lord, uh, I've studied this as far as I can. Uh, I go, is this, is this your faith, or is it us having faith in you? You know, us are our faith. Whose faith is it? And I just, whose faith is it? And I felt like the Lord kind of chuckled, and he goes, well, whose faith could it be? And and it did something in my heart. It it broke that that thing, you know, that was weird. So anyway, Ronnie, did you just say whose faith could it be? He said that. Okay. Yeah. So uh, the of and the in is in, interesting to me. So mm-hmm. sometimes I think we have, I have faith in the faith of Christ. Mm-hmm. And there. So I want you to know this. This is in, in Greg. This is wherever you are. It's true too. There are a number of places where it it's literally says faith in Christ or faith in Jesus or faith in that. It says that. It's 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 got the correct tense or the correct case and it's got the word ain in it. And then there's some other ones that have they don't have so th- this gets translated crazy. There's another word called ace and ace means into. It's a motion related thing. And it talks about believing into Christ. Again, when you think relationally, you can understand what that says. If you don't think relationally, you're going to translate that in. When if it had been in, they would have used ain. That's what the word means. Ace means into in a hundred other places, thousand maybe in the New Testament. It's used a lot. So yeah, it's it's so you you know studying the scripture does give us some direction, but ultimately it's going to be it's going to depend on. What do we think about our union, David? So when you say the faith of Christ, I'm a visual person. So in my mind, I see myself coming to a person to heal them. But it's not me. It's Yeshua healing them. Yeah, yeah. And in the same way, in the same way that Jesus said in John 14, these words are not my own. Mm -hmm. They're the Father working, ergos, in me. And guys, I've, I've grown up through... Two or three versions of Pentecostal and charismatic Christianity where I studied, pastored, did all this kind of stuff. And uh, I, I is one, you know, so I'm okay with that. But this is different. This is different. This is different. Yes, Richard. Uh, what we talked about on Tuesday between when you went to the word studies, uh, it looked like that faith and trust in relationship is pretty much the same. I mean, you're you're putting your faith in Christ and you're trusting in that relationship yeah. that w- what we're believing for is going to take place. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot in there, but it's also so. Think about this. Paul Paul said uh, when he was testifying about his Damascus Road experience, he said when it pleased God to reveal His Son in me. See, there's a time when in is the right word. Now, the same translators, the same English 
rational, dualistic influence causes the, that verse to be translated in most modern translations when it pleased God to reveal his son to me. Because we always want to keep it external. But that is not what the ministry of Paul was based on. Paul's ministry was based on there's a mystery that's been hidden in ages past, Colossians chapter 1, down around verse 20, 21, and that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then in Galatians, he explains this was what happened when it pleased the Father to reveal His Son in me, in Him while He was doing His Jewish bidding, in Him when He was arresting Christians, in Him when He was hating the, uh, the lie that He thought Messiah was. That's when it was revealed in him. So, yeah, go ahead, Terry. So um, God was reminding me, I went to a Christian uh, business conference, and we were having encounters with the Lord, and the question we were to ask God was, what is, what is our job or our title? And then if there was anything else that he wanted to tell us about that. And he told me I was a BEO. And I'm, I'm like going through my head with all the different acronyms, you know, CFO, CEO, all, I had no idea what a BEO was. So I'm like, okay, God, what is a BEO? And he said, you're the believing executive officer. And as that job, your first job is to believe. Praise God. That's really cool. Believing executive officer. I like it. I like it. So any other Tonight's just an introduction. We'll dig into some of the details. Uh, I don't want to give you the impression that we're going to walk away after, if, even if I have my way, that we're going to walk away here and not believe that it's a good thing to believe in Jesus. Because <laughs> it is. It is. But it's not the same thing as carrying and manifesting and releasing his belief in what his father sent him to do. And if, if, if I think we can connect those things. Thank you.